you can't look at this game and think, well, Georgia's just out-depthed Auburn. That didn't happen. Georgia out-schemed Auburn, Georgia out-executed Auburn, and Georgia out-coached Auburn. The final score in Athens was 27-6. The Georgia Bulldogs have now won four in a row, seven out of eight, and 13 out of the past 16 matchups versus the Auburn Tigers. The Deep South's oldest rivalry might need to consider a name change for accuracy purposes, of course. A suggestion that I have might be to call it the Deep South's oldest played football matchup because, by definition, in order for a rivalry to persist, it must be a competitive relationship among equals rather than resulting in perpetual dominance by one side. And as it stands right now, Auburn, they're just another game on the schedule for Georgia. And I'm fine with that. Hey there, my name is Scott Duvall, and you are listening to episode 245 of the Waiting Since Last Saturday podcast. I'm joined today on this quick post-game show by my two co-hosts, Will Leach and Tony Waller. So Stetson, the mailman, he was the man. He seemed to submit himself as QB1 for the Dogs as Georgia moves up one spot to number three in the nation with number 14 Tennessee set to pay a visit next week to Athens. But first, let's find out what the three of us think about the dominant performance by Georgia on both sides of the ball because Auburn legitimately never really had a chance. And note, before we begin, we connected via Zoom and Tony had to dial in while driving down to the lake. And I say this because you'll notice the road noise when Tony's talking. And so in editing, I turn him up and I turn him down. So that's just a quick heads up there for the sound quality, but you'll get used to it as you hear this short episode. And uh, yeah, without any further delay, here's Will to get things started. Gentlemen, uh, we have much to discuss after that event. And for the record, this is this is going to be one of the harder post-game podcasts for us to do because ordinarily all three of us were at the game. This right. time only Tony was at the game. So on television, I got to tell you, I don't know how they look to you, Tony. Boy, did Georgia look terrible on television. They lost. That was how bad. That's how much the difference is experienced. Yep. No, we only scored three points again. Barely scored three <laughs> points and a half. That's fewer than the five points we scored against Arkansas in the first half. We're just bad. We're a bad team. Obviously, uh, rather definitive 27 to 6. And this is definitely a 27 to 6 where it did not feel that close. The kind of bum rush that we saw at the beginning of this game, uh, really, you know, the, the cool thing, uh, the hipster take after the first game was, yeah, 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 Mathis was bad. But the thing to really worry about is the offensive line in the running game. Uh, that got resolved pretty fast. Uh, I got to say, not just the running game, the offensive line looked terrific. It looked like an entirely different line. Um, and they just bowled over a team that was supposedly uh, a top 10 team. Uh, that struck me. Uh, uh, all the worries, including that myself included, had heading in. Uh, they feel less so now because uh, that team, uh, uh, that first half, uh, that's what it's supposed to look like. Yeah, and I think the interesting part about it to me is when you look at the running game and the offensive line and how well they played, is that Georgia might have been able to have named their score. I mean, they were very deliberate in the second half. I went back and looked at the, the drive charts. Georgia and Auburn only had three possessions apiece in the second half. That's because Georgia held the ball for drives of five minutes resulting in a field goal six minutes resulting in the missed field goal and then like five minutes into the game. That was their possessions in the second half. It was um, 
I think it's maybe it's time to face up. Matt Luke can coach offensive lines pretty good. Uh, I was really impressed also on offense how we looked. We distributed the ball. Auburn never got their feet under them defensively, even in the second half. Um, where the Arkansas game might have been a game where Georgia just out-talented and out, uh, just like bowled them over in the second half because of depth. This was a game where you had strength on strength. And um, there's you can't look at this game and think, well, Georgia's just out-depth Auburn. That didn't happen. Georgia out-schemed Auburn. Georgia out-executed Auburn. And Georgia out-coached Auburn. If somebody had joined the game late, their head would have been spinning going like, wow, Georgia is really dominating. But the thing that gave me hope and confidence to where I didn't have any more sweaty palms was when Stetson rolled out to his left. It was a beautiful rollout and then threw across his body that 17-yard strike to Kyrus Jackson. And then later in the drive was able to check down, like third option to Zamir White, just dump it off, and he ran it up to about the four-yard line. That's when you kind of had that oh factor about it. And they go ahead and punch it in. The The other interesting um, stat to me, by the time Auburn had run 14 plays, Georgia was up 24 nothing. I mean, that that that's amazing. Listen, we've discussed the quarterback situation, um, and you know, I, in retrospect, rather dumbly, uh, thought Daniels would, uh, would would start this game. Um, I don't hear a lot of people clamoring for Daniels uh, right now for him to get back. The thing with Bennett, and again, you know, there there were there were nice passes, but like really, you know, and what I think it is still to be determined whether he can make that huge pass that you need in, uh, say, an Alabama game. Uh, or so on, and maybe he can. Uh, we just haven't had to see it yet. But just the way that everyone feels, the whole thing looks more comfortable when he's there. They look like, like, oh, here's our quarterback. They did not look that with Matt, like that with Mathis, which is again not necessarily fair to Mathis. But you know, this is the thing that they've said about Bennett forever, even before he transferred when he came back, and when he was, you know, back when he was being Baker Mayfield uh, in in the in the practices. Every, the minute he's in the game, everyone's like, yep, there's a quarterback. There he is. And to me, that's what it looked like. It's not so much that he was great. He was great. I, I, but it was really just that, like, everything seemed to be locking into place the way that it was supposed to work. And that, to me, not so much that, like, wow, look at that amazing throw he made or all these great decisions, which I think he made some good throws and made some good decisions, but more that just – oh, they got this, they're on top of the situation. And particularly when you have the defense playing the way that the defense played, this may actually be exactly what you want, right? Well, yeah, and especially when you think about how well the defense played. And let's not, let's not discount that. Um, I, the other part about it is when you – we didn't – like I'd posit that Stetson can run RPOs fine, and he is a mobile quarterback. He, he only threw the ball – I mean, he, he, only, he only had one quote-unquote rush, and it was a sack. Um, he didn't have to rely on his leg. I mean, he used his legs to move around the pocket. But we ran a little more of a traditional pocket passer offense with him in there this time. And you're right. That is heartening, especially how well the defense is playing. Uh, I think all of us had the Georgia number pretty close with 27 points. If you had told me that we were going to keep Auburn out of the end zone and they would really only get one time where they threatened beyond the field goal, I would have been stunned. But I will definitely take that all season. Yeah, and uh, it was the first time Auburn had not scored a touchdown since they lost 23-9 to to Mississippi State in 2018. Uh, I figured it would have been a lot further back, but still, that, that's an amazing stat to really hold uh, a prolific, well, and I'm using air quotes, 
a prolifically uh, thought of offense. You know, Gus kind of gets the benefit of what he did in the earlier years, uh, but to, to hold them without even sniffing the end zone. And one of the ways that happened, of course, we're gonna we're gonna mention the defense. I mean, just being able to rotate in. 9, 10, 11 linebackers, uh, Mark Webb stepping up after LeCount went out, and we can talk about that targeting later. But um, the, the emergence of Kyrus Jackson, what did he have? Like 12 catches? I wrote it down somewhere. I can't even find it. But he had 149 yards receiving. Think about what we talked about last year. And really, it was a theme of last year, and probably to the detriment of Jake Fromm, there was no other receiver other than George Pickens to really step up. And you saw Pickens only got two receptions. Granted, that beautiful touchdown reception. But perhaps going on or going further into the season, this is going to open up a lot more throwing lanes to or throwing opportunities to George Pickens because people are going to have to start respecting Curious Jackson on the other side. There's a great quote from uh, Bennett here. He says, it's so easy to play offense when the defense plays like it, did, like they did. Being able to be comfortable is easy because I'm surrounded by great players and the offensive line gives me time. Uh, that is a very Stetson Bennett quote. Sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that is, that is like, and like, and I, and I, and it feels, I say that both as A, it's the type of thing you would say, but B, like that's, in the platonic ideal, that's what you that's what you want Stetson Bennett to understand his role in the offense is. I, again, I still think it is a question. Uh, to me, I know Bo Nix is uh, the, the hero down there, and they they think he's going to be the guy that leads him to the promised land. Uh, and he is just a sophomore, but uh, he looks like he's got a little bit to go himself, to be honest. Uh, this this off, I think that the defense, George's defense was great, but I also did not think that they were uh, stifling a top-shelf, high-powered offense right now and they're going to have to in a couple of weeks and so i think that may and uh or at least make it to where stetson bennett can't just say hey look it's easy i just i just let the defense do its thing he's eventually he's going to have to score some points uh but and they i'm not to say they did in this game but eventually it may you're going to have to ask more of stetson bennett than necessarily they've asked of him so far but everything they've asked him to do he's done and uh, I think that is telling uh, to me, I, you know, it was interesting that Mathis is the one that came in late. Uh, the idea that uh, uh, not just that he came in, I figured someone would come in late, but the fact that uh, like if Daniels was cleared, maybe Daniels would be there. We may, you can draw your own conclusions of that. But, you know, if the defense is going to play like this, it solves a lot of issues. I just don't know if the defense will be able to play like this against Alabama in a couple of weeks, uh, to say the very least. <laughs> This episode of the Waiting Since Last Saturday podcast is brought to you by the Northside and Westside Bottle Shop, located here in Athens, Georgia. I stopped by the Northside location to speak with Sachin about what makes their bourbon selection so unique. I had a question, Sachin. As the listeners know, and as you know, Tony, our co-host, our beloved Tony Waller, he loves his bourbon. So why would one of the bottle shops be a one-stop shop for him to come get his bourbon selection? So, you know, we've been in the business for 31 years, um, and we have these insane relationships with these distilleries, which, you know, when we got into it, bourbon was not a thing. But now that everyone's gone crazy over it, well, we're kind of grandfathered in with some of those uh, distilleries, and, you know, we get the opportunity to go up there and pick up single barrels out of their rickhouses, walk the rickhouses, pick out barrels, taste through them. And really pick stuff to our liking and our desire. Um, so one of them being Knob Creek, you know, we are the largest buyer of Knob Creek single barrels in Georgia. 
Wow. Um, and then amongst, that's just one example, yeah. but there's so many of the brands, whether it's Maker, whether it's Beam, whether it's uh, Four Roses, we carry all those things and we really uh, expanded our collection on those, you know. So yeah, I mean, we love us some Tony. Yeah. Have you ever seen him uh, perusing the, the bourbon selection here? I think we've caught him on camera a couple of times, right. like really like drooling or something. I don't know, but no, I'm, I'm kidding. No, yeah, of course. Yeah, he, he pops in and out. He picks up his bottle, and, uh, you know, we, we'll, we'll discuss whiskey sometimes for sure. I mean, bourbon, of course. So that's uh, the answer for you right there. If you are looking for bourbon and you're in the Athens area, or you can place an order online and can pick it up contactless at any of the locations. So, yeah, stop by and get your bourbon selection from one of the bottle shops, north side, west side. And now back to the podcast. Uh, I'm curious. Uh, we talked about how the uh, one of only one of us was there at the game. Uh, there was considerable national discussion of uh, the crowd uh, at the game. I would say I was not there, so I can only speak to what I saw. Uh, I think that there was a, that's probably a combination of two things. One, three things. I would say uh, one. Um, I think that uh, people are heightened. Uh, about events that uh, in which people are close together in the outdoors right now. <laughs> I think that's a fair assessment. Uh, two, um, I think that uh, some of the television cameras made it look maybe things that were at a certain level, students being students. And three, this has been the biggest college football game that there's been all year. And therefore, uh, I, to me, for watching on television, it didn't look, the student section looked like they were too packed together, but every student section I've watched in every single college football game has looked like that. Uh, this is the one that, we had, that had the most people watching because it's been, been the biggest game of the year so far. But like, there was a big, like, New York newspapers are talking about all the crowds being crammed together uh, in this game. Again, that, uh, to me, I had friends of mine from out of town be like, oh my gosh, are you at that game? I, what's going on over there? To me, the stands outside the college uh, the, the students didn't look bad I have to say it looked actually pretty well organized and more organized than most other college place, places uh, students are students in a certain way uh, but Tony what do you think you were there how did it feel to you being in the stands yeah I mean I <laughs> The I think there was obviously I didn't see the game I haven't had a chance to go back and watch it but from where I sat um, everyone was in the places they were supposed to sit um, everyone was at the minimum six feet apart and more than that in most cases uh, when people when there were places or time where people gathered around uh, my, my daughter Maggie sat with our friend Tiffany and and uh, there were some people gathered up and security came and said hey where's your ticket well, let me see your ticket and these aren't your seats you have to go back to your seats and they, they broke up people um, I, it I, I get it I really do get it you're right it is it was the first big, big you know top 10 matchup of the season I, I, but there comes a point where we can have the debate whether we should be doing this or not but that that conversation is kind of a I think you talked about in your newsletter will that's a May conversation probably not an October conversation and that I very much feel that way that okay we're going to have this we, if you still want to have litigate whether or not we should have it that's fine but you're having a different conversation than I'm having which is we're having this how can we best be safe in having this look come don't come I understand if you don't want to come I understand if you do want to come but it it gets a point where it's super performative and I, you know I I heard I heard Ravel you know had a tweet now I haven't seen it but it's something along the lines of SEC should find Georgia or something I don't know whatever it was I, you know I there were 
there were plenty of opportunities for where students were being students. Yeah, and that's that's fine. But for by and large, if you want to say there was a group of a twentieth or even a fortieth of the st- students where st- people in the stadium were being a certain way, um, that's not unfair. But I would say if you're if you're talking about that, you're talking about a thousand people out of twenty thousand people, and the other nineteen thousand people were obeying the rules. Like, I mean, I I did not see a single person entering or exiting the stadium that did not have a mask on. I would say half or more people kept their mask on during the game, um, and you know it's it is what it is in this regard. But as far as a a game day scene where you have a quarter of people in the stadium, it felt loud, and I think some of that was pumped in music, but there were also times where we were pretty loud, um, and it was um, it was amazing to get to be a part of that, but it was also fun to get to watch Georgia play football, especially the, as well as they play. In your opinion, how impressed or unimpressed were you with the ability for the crowd to be as vocal in those third down situations and potentially affect Auburn on offense? Yeah, it's hard to say just because, you know, it was, it certainly didn't feel as loud as it did. It does on normal, would have felt if it were full, but it, it did feel loud, right? And, you know, they ran the decibel meter, which makes me doubt how doubt if that ever works just because every time we're getting 96 or 7 uh, decibels. Um, but in, so, you know, from that regard, I think they did a good job of kind of mimicking what it would be like. But, eh, frankly, it didn't matter to me because I was there in the moment. And, of course, I'm yelling, and it's, you know, it's – it was fun. It, it felt as, as close to normal, maybe, as what we've had in second seven months. Um, and I do, let me be clear about one thing about the students, too. Um, there were vast swaths of the student section who were also behaving, right? We were sitting in section 115, which is a section or two over from the from the red, where the redcoats were, and there were large sections of the student section there and in the far end zone where students were behaving, where they were sitting apart, where they were wearing masks. Um, and, I, you know, again, people should be, people, including students, should be better at this, right? We're in a pandemic. But to... You're, you're, you're pushing a particular narrative if it's simply if you're simply saying, tis, tis, look at all this. And that's just, I don't know, that's just the way I feel about it. I, I mean, I, I agree with you, and I do think you're right, and I, I, th- I think you're per- right about both of it being a little performative. I mean, how, how strange it would be for Darren Ravel to be performative on social media. Uh, but I would say, uh, for the record, I am with you, and I agree with all this, particularly the idea that this, like, if you're going to do this, I actually feel like, I mean, I'll put it this way. I've seen a lot of stands at a lot of other college football games that do not have clearly everyone distanced the way that they did there. Uh, that said, I grant the fact that my, uh, my school is, kids' school is just about to go back to school because the numbers have gotten so low. If they raise in two weeks and it keeps my kids out of school because of the, this game didn't happen, I will not find this so like, come on, it's an October problem rather than a May problem. Uh, and I don't know if that's going to happen. I don't know if that's going to happen, but, uh, we're going to get some proof one way or the other, right? And I, and for the record, if they don't go up, I want to definitely see these people come back in two weeks and say, I'm going to go back to them and be like, hey, look, that thing that you were so freaked out about, 
it's fine. <laughs> like, like people, it was not as bad as it, you were saying it was on social media. And if it is bad, I would like to go back and remind everybody that like, hey, this is why you have to be better about this. And this is generally the problem with the virus, right? Is that you really don't know what happened until two weeks afterward. So uh, uh, right now it looks like Clark County is voting for, uh, is, gonna, is put, putting a date next week to come back. Uh, I want them to get back quickly <laughs> because once you start, then I feel like you can't stop. Uh, or at least you're un- you're less light, you're more likely to not stop. So uh, I don't know if we're going to see it, but we'll find out, right? We'll find out if there was a, and not just students in the stands, but like one thing I can say in having not gone in, into the stadium, uh, I went for a run on Saturday morning, very much curious, Saturday morning, excuse me, Saturday early afternoon, uh, listening to the Florida game, which is not inspiring to run to, by the way, don't do that. Um, but to see, are people out? Are people tailgating? Are people out doing things? They weren't. <laughs> I have to say, I did not find uh, a ton of tailgates out. There were people tailgating in their yards, people in their backyards and doing things, but I did not see people out. Uh, the game day experience out, the tailgating outside the stadium experience, the, it was closed off. You couldn't really get near the stadium uh, if you if you wanted to. I had to change my usual route pat across the bridge on Saturday morning simply because they weren't letting people in. I think they did a good job of closing stuff off. It definitely did not feel um, anything at all like a normal college football Saturday, uh, Georgia football Saturday. And, that, and I think it's good, right? And game day was here. Like ordinarily these things would be out of control. It didn't feel that way. It did not feel that way. It did not feel like an overwhelming tailgate experience. And this is the Auburn game. Like this is not like they were playing, you know, Austin P or something. And it was a game that people weren't going to come to. I do think that part of the idea of, you know, I wrote a piece in, I believe, July or August about uh, when college football is starting to come back of, hey, can they deal with tailgating? If you have an event, can you stop people from coming? I think you can make a pretty good, pretty good argument that, yeah, they did, because I, I didn't see anything out of control outside. I know, I'm sure there I'm sure there were bars downtown. The bar, I, I, I hear the blind pig was packed and, and stuff like that. That also feels like a college problem rather than a football. Yeah, and I, I agree with you. I mean, we, we ended up parking there uh, between Carlton Street Deck and the baseball field, and we, we left at 6 o'clock and got, we were, you know, out of the car by 6.15, um, encountered zero traffic leaving the stadium, uh, getting out. Um, it was, I thought it was well done. Yeah, I do I do want to take a second and make note of some other goings on around college football. Hey, maybe that Arkansas team is not so bad, right? Um, they could they could go still go one and nine, but they uh, beat the, the Fighting Mike Leeches. And, Will, you call that. You're like, this feels like a game that Mike Leach's uh, teams in the past have blown. And lo and behold, they, they did. Um, so, yeah, I'm sorry I had to listen to the Florida game. That was interesting for a while. And then Will Muschamp did Will Muschamp stuff. What do you think about those two targeting calls uh, in the game? Because Smoke Monday, which, by the way, all-time, uh, first-team, all-name uh, category, uh, you know, he his was pretty obvious on his hit on the kick return. But then LeCount, uh, and it, it kind of trended for a while on social media, you know, uh, I think even Bernie Dog had a great tweet called, he called it shouldering. Um, you know, and I think really the, the performative aspect of that was the fact that the receiver's uh, mouthpiece was, I guess, not inserted very well because it came flying out. Um, so they did allow both Smoke and LeCount to stay on the sidelines, which I really like now because last year and years past, you know, you walked them out and into a chorus of booze or something. But, Tony, 
uh, I guess I'll have this question for you. And then we'll also, I felt watching it at home that the targeting call really was a momentum swing because smoke Monday is like an all sec, uh, defensive back. And it just gave kind of that juice. And then to the same extent with LeCount, it's kind of like, okay, we need to change the rules. So what, what do you think about that? Well, I mean, I, I didn't, I, I didn't really see smoke Mondays until the replay and it was pretty obviously a targeting. And the only thing I could say, and they didn't announce it in the stadium is like, well, I think I told, I told Charlie who I was sitting with my son that, um, yeah, they must have have called him a defenseless player because the only way you can call that targeting. And, and you know, when I got home, Kristen had confirmed that was what the way they had framed it, at least in the discussion with the announcers. But you know, I, I, you know, I'm, I, I, I do, does that get called targeting if his mouthpiece doesn't fly out five yards? Maybe not. Um, but you know, it's it's a bang bang play, and uh, you know they have the review and they. Um, it was probably as close as you're going to see as a bang bang play that allows probably the probably the mouthpiece flying out with this deal sealer there. Well, gentlemen, they won. They're in good shape. I think they're back. I think they passed Florida in the rankings. I believe. I believe that happened. So I think there is less skepticism. And now we have uh, uh, one more week of Tennessee, and then then the big one. Then the big one uh, uh, gets going, which is to say, uh, uh, being a week away from the Illinois opener against Wisconsin. Um, so, uh, gentlemen, uh, we'll be, we're, we are taping, uh, Wednesday, I believe, I think, and I believe we're going to be back in person. I think if you, I think, I think so. So we'll be back in person on Wednesday. So, uh, uh, otherwise Georgia won, man, that was every nightmare scenario that you had. It was the opposite of that. In other words, it was, it was very unlike 2020 in every possible sure, way. That's a good your point. Worst that's fear, a good point. Your worst fear what did not, in fact, come true. Uh, <laughs> it was actually something nice that happened. So uh, it's, nice when, it's, it, it's nice when nice things happen and you expect the worst and the worst doesn't happen. I will take it. Um, all right, gentlemen, have a good week. I will see you guys on Wednesday. But, hey, otherwise, go dogs. Go dogs. And thanks so much for listening. Make sure to stop by the Northside or Westside Bottle Shop here in Athens, Georgia, for your beer, wine, and liquor selection needs. Links to their website are in the show notes of this episode. The three of us will be back for our regular pregame show later this week, focusing on Georgia versus Tennessee. Kate Mays and Jeremy Pruitt make their visit down to Athens once again. Follow us on Twitter if you haven't already. Our handle is at WSLS Podcast. And we hope to see you on campus this week versus the Vols. And as always, go dogs. Thank you.